Welcome to Digital Momentum. I'm your host, Mike Ryan, and this podcast is brought to you by Smarter E-Commerce. This show offers conversations and insights related to digital marketing and e-commerce growth. And today I want to talk about a topic that's near and dear to me, and I guess many of you, and that's profitability, specifically the profitability of marketing activities. I think that this is becoming more and more of an urgent topic uh, in the last years and just I have over here in front of me a couple of earning reports from Alphabet, the holding company of, of Google, which I think illustrates that point to a certain degree. I can see that in Q2 of 2021, cost per click was up 31%. And in Q3, it was up 18%. At the time of recording, those numbers aren't available yet for Q4. They haven't issued their earnings report, but it'll be interesting to see. The point being is that the unit costs of these channels is challenging. There are tracking issues um, on these channels, like we see with Facebook in the wake of changes made by Apple. And there are more challenges ahead on the horizon related to tracking and privacy. I think it's also important to acknowledge what's occurring in the competitive landscape in e-commerce. We see that there are just so many new entrants to e-commerce especially since 2020 and onward. This was accelerated by the pandemic driving businesses online. It's been accelerated by wonderful services like Shopify, uh, but it definitely, you know, one of their goals is the democratization of e-commerce. And I think that they've been really successful there. That means more people entering. Google has also taken efforts to drive increased adoption in their channels like in Google Shopping, for example, they reported in 2020, 80% increase in the amount of merchant centers out there. Now, I think there were already a lot of merchant centers out there. So an 80% increase is a lot. Um, this was probably driven, as mentioned, by the pandemic, but also initiatives that Google took, like, for example, their free click program, which is kind of freemium for Google Shopping. It encourages people to open a merchant center now and probably pick up some paid advertising in the future. Uh, we also see that there are these huge players out there. Uh, there's a lot of kind of mega funding going on, and this will affect different channels differently. There are the aggregators uh, who are aggregating sellers on Amazon, and they'll spend aggressively. There are the legacy or legacy brands who are getting more serious about to direct-to-consumer uh, marketing efforts, and they've got big budgets to spend, they they might tend to have a longer payback cycle than a smaller business. There are also venture-backed um, startup D2C companies and yeah, also private equity flowing into other companies. We also see huge players like Amazon sometimes throwing their weight around in, in the shopping auction, for example. When they exited the auction for a period of time in spring of 2020, there was a notable drop in CPCs and there could have been other factors influencing this, but I think it shows how much the presence of a single player like Amazon can drive up costs in an entire ecosystem. So when we see these things occurring, it just becomes clear that we need to focus on how effective are our channels really, how effective is our activity. And a problem that I have, I call this the ROAS pathology. Whether you pronounce it ROAS or ROAS, uh, I think that there are challenges around the way that, that this metric gets used. 
a former colleague of mine, Reinhard Einwagner, he always described to me that the way people use return on ad spend is pathological. And so that's why that word jumps out to me. I think it's about the expectations that people have of the metric and the way that its use gets overextended. I also, this is a quote I love to, to reference, and it comes from Avinash Kaushik. He's uh, head of strategic analytics at Google. He's a very smart guy and um, kind of responsible for Google's own marketing effectiveness. And he wrote in his personal blog um, a post called Die, Rowest, Die. Now, I don't want to overstate what he said in there or put words in his mouth, but a direct quote from him is he asked the question, what is ROAS? Return on ad spend. It's a navel-gazing, advertising-centric metric. It is not a business metric. And that's something that is kind of burnt into my memory, uh, this idea that return on ad spend is not a business metric. And, you know, if you read that full article from him, he he drills down through what he considers better ways of measuring campaigns and uh, arrives at basically profit per marketing dollar. So I like that approach a lot more of measuring profit compared to a revenue-based metric like return on ad spend. Let's just unpack return on ad spend a little bit before we go too much further. So this as a metric, it's very popular at this point. And the way it's calculated, by the way, is your revenue divided by cost. Or if you're in a Google Ads context, it's a little more open or flexible. It's conversion value divided by cost. Um, and that is an important difference because your conversion value could stand in for something besides revenue. In the end, return on ad spend, it's, it kind of suggests the range that your, that your advertising spend can deliver in terms of, of revenue. Um, and I think people use it often as a proxy for profitability of their of their channels when they don't maybe directly measure that. Uh, and the thing is that it's very flexible. It's very easily calculated. Those pieces of information that you need, just your advertising spend and your revenue, they're they're pretty trivial to report. And you, in the end, can report this at lots of different levels of of a campaign, lots of different entities in there which makes it pretty attractive to look at. And Google has also pushed the concept of return on ad spend because it's kind of in their own interest too. It's a way that they can demonstrate the value of channels. And so I think they've often encouraged kind of the the conflation of return on ad spend on the one hand and profit on the other. You'll see marketing materials from them where they refer to ROAS as your profit or as your profitability although they're really not the same thing. Return on ad spend is, is only an efficiency metric. I mentioned that it suggests the range that you can get. In that regard, it's kind of like your miles per gallon. How many miles can I travel with one gallon of gasoline in my tank? On the flip side, if you're in the Amazon advertising ecosystem, you're probably more familiar with advertising cost of sale. And this is the same two numbers, just reported in an inverse way. It's your cost divided by your conversion value. So the ratio of your cost to your conversion value. And I mean, I already prefer that because rather than a range logic, it's more of a consumption logic. How much cost do my campaigns cons- consume? And 
I, I also like that the naming is just kind of more straightforward, more descriptive. Advertising costs on of sale. It's really just that's describing what it is. You can't kind of confuse it with return on ad spend. You might make that mental bridge in your mind to return on investment. I'm investing this ad spend. This is my return on investment. But the difference between return on investment and return on ad spend is, is significant. So in the end, I think what's different here is that return on ad spend or advertising cost of sale, these are both efficiency metrics. And profit is really a marketing effectiveness metric. And it's important not to confuse the idea of efficiency with effectiveness. What also bothers me a touch about return on ad spend is this idea of KPI surrogation. That's not a term that I invented. I learned it from the Harvard Business Review. Uh, There's an article, really great article, where they write... Uh, every day across almost every organization, strategy is being hijacked by numbers. It turns out that the tendency to mentally replace strategy with metrics called surrogation is quite pervasive and it can destroy company value. So that's from this article by Harris and Taylor. I'll, uh, link that in the show notes. Their point is that we, we look for proxies, rightly so, when we have a desired outcome and we can't directly measure that. So, We use a proxy because it's correlated to a goal. It has value because of the correlation to that goal. And the higher the correlation between a proxy and and a goal, uh, the higher is the value or the effectiveness of that proxy. But we can make this jump where we have maybe a loose-fitting proxy and we accept that as if that is the goal, when really it's it's something directional. It's a representation of the goal, not the goal itself. And you can end up making wrong decisions if you lean too hard into a proxy. The other thing about proxies here is that you can actually directly track profit in many or most advertising channels. And so it bugs me a little bit that we use a proxy when we could just measure the thing itself and directly observe the profitability. Another tendency that I notice when it comes to return on ad spend is that we become a bit over-reliant on it. There's this famous bias. It's called the the law of the instrument or Maslow's hammer. And the idea is that if the only tool that you have is a hammer, everything starts to look like a nail. And maybe you actually need a screwdriver or some other tool to solve a problem. It's often the case in channels that we don't have all the levers and the controls that we like or the things that we actually need to influence might not be in our direct area of control. They might be in our area of influence or they might be a bit out of reach for us. But we tend to just grab the thing that we have and try to make it work with that. For example, return on ad spend. And return on ad spend, if you would kind of decompose this metric, the, the things that feed into that are your conversion rate of your website, uh, your average value, of the, the transactions that you're generating, that's on the return side. And then on the ad spend side, of course, the variable variable there is cost per click. So it can be tricky to influence these things in the way that we want. If we look at conversion rate alone, for example, this is going to have so many contributing factors, which might have to do with the way that a landing page is designed or implemented. Um, it might have to do with factors that are 
we can only influence slowly because we might need to bring in design teams, technical teams, and perhaps that's out of one individual's reach, although it's important to the company. If you look at something like average order value, this is also, there's only a certain degree in which we can influence that. We can try to create more recommended products to increase basket values on the site. Um, We can try to bring certain kinds of users onto our website who have a propensity to buy larger orders. But the reality is that we'll have, we'll be operating for any given business within a certain demographic and within a certain corridor of what's a realistic average order value. If we get back on that idea that return on ad spend is a proxy or a stand-in for profit, um, I think what's tricky there is that it's actually a pretty good proxy. And why that's tricky is because if it would be a terrible stand-in, you wouldn't use it at all. Uh, but in fact, it's just got this looseness in it. It's close enough where we can be fooled, but that looseness is a margin of error which can mislead us over time. And the other thing that occurs, if you would model the way that your return on ad spend develops, um, your marginal return on ad spend. So, you know, let's say in a simplified example, you spend 1,000 euros or pounds or dollars and you receive 5,000 euros in conversion value or revenue from that. And then... You say, that's great. I'm really happy with that return on ad spend. I'm going to double my spend and and put in 2,000. So then on that next 1,000, you only get 4,500 back. And then maybe on the next 1,000, you only get um, 4,000 back. The challenge here is that there are diminishing returns, or you could think of it as a a dose-response curve. And uh, the same dose is not going to elicit the same response every time. It might have this kind of linear relationship up and to the right, the way you want to see at the start, but there's going to be a point where it starts curving and flattening out and you're not getting the same marginal returns or marginal return on ad spend as you'd like. And when we think back at that margin of error where you've got a kind of realistic stand-in for your profit, there are two things that come up. As the marginal return on ad spend gets less and less, then that that kind of wiggle room that's in there, that looseness becomes more significant each time uh, where you can, at a certain point, your advertising is not going to be profitable anymore and you don't know where that point is. So if you can imagine a second line, that first line that we described, it's your your return on advertising spend and it's this diminishing return. So it's It's a line that starts out linear going up and to the right, and then it starts flattening out. Um, And it'll just sort of flatten out forever at a certain point. It's like an asymptote. It'll just tiny infinitesimal amount keep increasing with more budget or advertising spend that you put in. But the other line that you can imagine would be the actual profitability of your campaigns. And this line's going to look a little bit different. It would be more like a parabola. It would be um, a line that increases uh, in a in a linear way, um, and then it reaches a top and it rounds off, and then it decreases in a rather linear way um, once it goes over that sort of tipping point. 
this is a point that you'll never see when you're looking at return on ad spend. You can always put in more ad spend and get some more revenue out so that you'll never see that in return on ad spend. When you look at the profit curve, you'll see that you reached a certain point, the top of that parabola, that was your maximum profit point right there. And you can keep spending beyond that and just keep going down and down in terms of profitability, but up and up in terms of revenue, as long as you're comfortable with the profitability that you're, that you're reaching. At a certain point, you'll hit a negative and now you're, you're still generating more revenue, but you're not generating more profit. And this is dangerous. Um, you have to be very intentional if you, and, and aware if you want to do a strategy like that. Uh, but you will never know that point if you're looking at return on ad spend. And this is a, this is a huge challenge. Now, some businesses might choose to optimize on customer lifetime value instead, and they would take a longer term view because they know that optimizing on a single transaction basis, they might be missing revenue in the future. The tricky thing about customer lifetime value is that you really, in an e-commerce setting, this is not something that you can just calculate or you wouldn't want to optimize on that basis. That's far too simplistic. It's something that really needs to be modeled. And you at any rate need to track your profit. It's not a revenue metric. It's a profit metric. It can be a really great way for some businesses to uh, invest in a more long-term way. And they, in the end effect, would take a bit of a loss leader strategy in their initial bid or their initial campaign activity because they know that it's going to pay off in the longer run. Um, and I think that customer lifetime value is a great way to uh, understand subsets of your audience and to build audience lists. If you actually want to advertise on it, um, or excuse me, really optimize on that basis, you need to be very convinced and very correct about the accuracy of your model. And this is pretty tricky to do to actually operationalize that. So I think to me, realistically, if you're tracking profit, that you're already kind of 90% of the value that you can get out of, out of uh, switching to away from a revenue-based optimization toward kind of a more mature optimization model. And you don't have the, the risk that you might associate with uh, going too hard on customer lifetime value. I was reading an article from, from Sam Tomlinson. He's an executive vice president at Warshawski. That's a, an agency um, in the mid-Atlantic in the U.S. And uh, he talks about working with net present value instead. And this is basically a, a prediction of future value that's adjusted for the risk that's in there. And, um, and that's a more balanced approach. And yeah, he, he ends up talking about looking at the, the net present profit per click, which I think is quite an interesting way to optimize. But what I like even better is kind of his final word in that article, which I'll link. And, you know, he talks about what his recommendation is to choose a trio of metrics and not just one. For example, if you're only focusing on your net present value, then you might limit the, the possible growth. It might be perhaps a, a little too conservative. Um, you could balance it with a, 
a more of a scaled metric like revenue, for example. Um, you might compare it with a historical uh, comparison metric as well. And then you've got these metrics that kind of stand in tension with each other and you're not getting pulled too far in any one direction. If you can optimize on the balance of those things, then you've got a really healthy basis for optimization. So that's an idea that I love. Another thing about profit optimization that you need to be aware of is, you know, you would tend to be looking at that data on a product margin basis, but then you measure on an order profit basis. And so this is a challenging thing because you're kind of the input that you might make available to a given advertising channel um, might be structuring your campaign around product margin, for example, creating some campaigns based on products between X and Y margin, but then putting the pressure on those products saying, hey, this is a profitable, pro profitable product, I want to advertise it. That doesn't guarantee that it's going to be the product that gets bought uh, because there's this kind of inherent chaos, I would say, in any given advertising channel between what gets clicked and then what actually gets purchased on your website. So it's very important to have a look at the things that are being bought, your actual orders, and get what insights you can out of there. What are frequently purchased item sets? What are order openers? What are common replacement items? You know, you'll find that there's probably quite a lot of of substitution occurring in the browsing and buying process, which is, it's totally normal, but getting insights into there can be, can be really valuable to you because it would be in the end, a little naive to, to say, Oh, if I advertise this product, that's going to be the outcome that I have. Unfortunately, the channels just aren't that precise, but to sort of summarize, we just, there's this goal incoherence that often comes up and, it's it's this desire to both maximize volume and efficiency at the same time to say that, you know, I want to achieve more and more revenue at better and better efficiency. And, you know, I think there's a there's a great article from Kirk Williams at Zato, Zato Marketing, where he describes it as kind of um, an ascending seesaw, I think is the phrase he uses. And because there's always this trade-off between these two metrics, your, your efficiency and your volume. And typically pushing on one is going to cause an op opposite reaction in the other, just like a seesaw. But if you move carefully over time, you can kind of seesaw up and down like a staircase in the end and, um, just slowly find the right scale here, then the right efficiency at that scale, and then move to the next level of scale at a lower efficiency, and then bring your efficiency back up can be possible. Um, I like to call this thing bending the spoon. If I think about that, uh, that, that curved ROAS, the, the response curve there, the diminishing returns, you, you just want to try to flex or bend that line into a more favorable one. But, at the end of the day, we see that most merchants are still optimizing and most advertisers are still optimizing based on revenue. And this presents an opportunity because as the market gets more and more competitive and, and the unit economics are maybe less favorable, as we discussed at the beginning, in the end, the people who are going to win this, so to say, are the ones who are going to be able to determine their return on investment 
more realistically than their competitors. So as mentioned, you might want to think beyond the profitability of single transactions and look at metrics like lifetime value or, or customer lifetime value. But the real magic trick is to figure out how much budget to allocate to which channel and when. And this is basically a marketing mix modeling challenge. You need to look at how each challenge re responds to budget increases and how the profitability of that channel looks over time. And that's a challenge where we're, we're partly hindered by the advertising platforms. Uh, their, their attribution that they provide will kind of tend to favor themselves and you might need to look toward more independent attribution solutions, custom attribution, multi-touch attribution to help understand what's occurring here and, and then bring that, as I said, into a marketing mix model. So just to wrap that up, return on ad spend, it's not going anywhere. It's a metric that we'll continue looking at. Um, if you're in a bidding system like Google Smart Bidding or any of their technologies like Smart uh, Shopping Campaigns, Performance Max, ROAS is your main lever that you have there. Uh, but the thing is, what that return on ad spend represents is going to be increasingly important. So you can take actions like changing what you track in your pixel um, so that you're tracking profit rather than revenue or, or import your profit after the fact. Then you can do more advanced calculations to take in um, coupon codes and return rates and topics like that. And what I've noticed, uh, I would say, especially in the direct-to-consumer crowd, is that there's been an, an increased fascination with a metric uh, typically called MER, Marketing Efficiency Ratio or Media Efficiency Ratio, where they look at the, the total ad spend and the total revenue and, and that ratio. And um, I think that this metric has become so popular because of the challenges faced by tracking and privacy, where we, we might not have the level of detail we want in a given channel. So then we look at all the channels together and it's attempting to give a bigger picture like you would have with a multi-touch attribution model in place. My caution there, and I'm willing to be proven wrong here, but to me, it feels, it feels a bit like reading tea leaves because I think you can find anything, any pattern, or you can draw any conclusion when you're looking at, at such a big metric. I'm not saying that metric isn't important. I think directionally, it's important to know the overall efficiency of your marketing. Um, but to say that a change you made in your Facebook campaigns had this impact on your marketing efficiency ratio, it, it seems like a stretch to me. There are so many variables flowing in there. There are so many variables flowing just into the return on ad spend in one channel um, that I don't know how you could kind of prove causation or say something that you know is correct um, in that. But I'm really, I'm really willing to learn about media efficiency ratio and if the, if I'm thinking about it the wrong way. But I just want to invite everybody to, to think twice about which metrics we're using, the conclusions that we draw from them and consider bringing profitability into the mix, direct profit measurement. That said, we are still in the new year at the time of recording this episode. So I wish you a really successful 2022. If you're listening in the future, I hope your 2022 is great. Um, thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with coworkers, friends, or within your professional network. 
We really appreciate it. This podcast is produced by Smarter E-Commerce, and you can learn more at smarter-ecommerce.com. Mm-hmm.